So we've been, uh, we've been taking a bit of a deep dive into 1 Thessalonians, looking at Paul's uh, first letter to the church in Thessalonica. Uh, we began uh, chapter 5 this past Sunday, uh, and um, uh, just a little bit of background. So again, th- this is a church that um, was greatly concerned that much of the current challenges and tribulation and hostility that they were facing um, was a sign that they were entering into the day of the Lord. Uh, this is a group of people who, who just really months before, I mean, this church is a very new uh, body of believers uh, living in a very ungodly environment. And as they embrace Christ, they, 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 they discontinue uh, usage of many of the pagan practices and the ways of their day and their opposition um, to going with the flow of their culture um, began to make an impact in that environment, right? The church started to change the culture. And, and as a result of that, they became uh, the focus point of, of a lot of hostility um, because they were going against the way of the, of the world at that time. And uh, what, a, what an incredible um, picture of what many of us are experiencing in the, in the day in which we live as well. As we are committed to the word of God being our sole source of authority and recognizing that it, it causes us to live a way that is pleasing and right to God that, that would oftentimes cause us to go against what is the, the, the normal accepted, accepted practices of the day. And, and so here is this church and, and they're going against the accepted practices of their day and they are, as a result of that, they are undergoing uh, intense uh, persecution and hostility and, and uh, some lies were circulating around saying, you know what, you all missed the coming of Jesus. You're in the midst of the, the tribulation period and the day of the Lord and they're freaking out because they had heard and they had read what the day of the Lord was supposed to look like and, and it wasn't designed to be something that the people people of God were supposed to go through. And so they were scared. And so Paul writes this letter to them. And we've been kind of looking at that these last uh, number of weeks where we saw that, that the day of the Lord is where God's going to pour out his wrath on the world, upon nations, upon people who, who opposed uh, God and his word and, and God's people. We saw that the day of the Lord is a a specific time where judgment's going to come upon the nation of Israel for, for rejecting their Messiah. And as, as, as judgment comes upon the nation of Israel, we see uh, 144,000 are going to recognize that, they, that Jesus is the Messiah, right? They're going to embrace Jesus as the Messiah. And during that tribulation period, there's going to be a tremendous revival that takes place. Now, the church will not be there for it. The church will have been raptured out. But this is all the things that Paul is addressing in 1 Thessalonians these last uh, number of weeks as we've been going through there. And he's trying to settle the church down and saying, listen, no, the fact that we're here would say, say that the tribulation period has not taken place. He comforted him with the words found in, in uh, chapter 5 and verse 8, where he says, we belong to the day, right? We're not children of the night. We belong to the day. He says, let us be sober, right? How, how should we respond in the midst of all that's going on? He instructs the church to, to be sober, Having put on a, a breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet, for a helmet, the hope of salvation. And so he's saying to the church, man, listen, don't get freaked out over the lies that are being circulated, right? And, and we talked about the importance of that breastplate being the very thing that, that covers the center point of our emotions, our, our heart. 
And the message was pretty clear. He says, let, let how you feel, right, be informed by your faith in God, your love for God, and your, and your love for one another. Don't be, don't be sidetracked and overwhelmed and fearful with what you're seeing going on around you. Allow your emotions to be um, uh, identified and, and informed by the hope um, that we have in Christ. And then also he talks about putting on the helmet, right? That's what guards our minds, our, our thought process. And he says also, and then he says, let, let how you think be informed by the hope of your salvation, by God's ability to deliver you, right? So don't be, don't be worried about what they are saying. I appreciated the, the, the psalm that, that, that Anthony read this morning, this, this reminder that God is over the world, over the nation. He is, he is sovereign of all things. Don't get discouraged as you see the, the decadence in our world that's getting worse and worse, but there's gonna be a day where every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And we as God's people have the luxury and the opportunity to do that now, right? And as we celebrate Christ's, Christ's Lordship. And so he's been addressing these, these subjects uh, with them, talking again about, about the rapture and the day of the Lord. He'll make reference to the, 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 um, the second coming. And so there's been a lot of heavy content, right? And then as he comes to chapter five, he kind of brings it full circle. And he says, all right now, having addressed these really weighty matters, let me give you some instruction on, on how you're to live, right? And, and so he, he begins to present um, five godly attitudes that the church ought to have uh, with one another, Right, and we'll see those five attitudes in the in the remaining portion of chapter five. We're not going to get to all of that today, but he will lay out for the church: don't get so caught up in the the end time scenarios and what's going on. And listen, let, let's let's focus on what God is doing in us and through us. And while we're here, let's be sure to get the gospel out. Right? Let's not forget the hope of salvation, the power of the gospel. And so he lays out for them some right attitudes that ought to exist amongst um, the people of God. This morning, we're going to take a look at two of them, and uh, the title of my message is Godly Attitudes in a Healthy Church. Godly Attitudes in a Healthy Church, because again, that's what Paul's focusing on here. He cared for this church. He loved this church. He wanted to see harmony in this church and unity in this church, and he didn't want them freaking out over things that clearly they weren't going to experience in their lifetime, but he's, he's putting in motion for them and for us how a healthy church is to engage uh, one another. What does a healthy community, a healthy church family look like? And so we're going to tackle two of those this morning. Um, if you have your Bibles, let's turn together to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We're going to pick up at verse 12. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We're going to look at verse 12 and 13. It says, We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And so in these two verses here, we see two godly attitudes that ought to exist within a healthy church environment, within a healthy community. And the first one we're going to look at this morning is the godly attitude of overseers. The godly attitude, what it ought to be 
of overseers. Now specifically, Paul is referring to the, the leaders in the church in Thessalonica. The scripture has a lot to say about leaders in God's church. The standards are high. The expectation is sacred. There's much that God would hold in, in, in high regard and in high, high expectation for those who would aspire to that position of overseer in God's church. To represent as under shepherds the chief shepherd, Jesus Christ, is a weighty call. And we see all throughout the, Old Te the New Testament the specific ways in which and expectations and qualifications that are in motion for that. And while Paul uses a very broad word for overseers in our text this morning, uh, he outlines some specific qualifications and duties of those leaders here, but also as you read through the pastoral epistles of First and Second Timothy and, and Titus, he will lay out some very weighty and high expectations for those who would aspire to the office of overseer. There are four basic terms that Paul will use in the pastoral epistles, specifically First and Second Timothy and, and Titus, that, that will kind of encompass overseers in general. The first would be the word elder. The Greek word is presbyteros. It, it, it has to do with a person's spiritual maturity. And so in the pastoral epistles, when it's referring to elders, it's kind of highlighting the spiritual maturity of that particular person, right? It's not something that uh, a novice, a new believer in Christ would, would be able to carry. It's something that they need to be gifted to do and grow into. Someone who is not a novice in the faith, but exercises uh, spiritual maturity, uh, an ability to sense what God is saying and, and be able to employ that amongst God's people. And so we see the call of an elder being used. And another term that Paul will use in those pastoral epistles is the word overseer, episkopos. It refers to the idea of, of spiritual oversight or authority, that with that role of overseer, there comes with it the need to oversee God's flock on behalf of the chief shepherd, right? Recognizing that God puts in motion leaders who will help provide spiritual oversight and authority in God's church. Another title that Paul will make reference to is the word pastor. The Greek word is poimen. It refers to a person's responsibility to, to guard the flock, to be a shepherd, a under-shepherd of the, of the chief shepherd, right? And, and Jesus will make a lot of references in his ministry to the, the significance of, of a shepherd, right? And going after and caring for and, and protecting the sheep, Jesus being the, the ultimate example of what a shepherd should look like. And so the same term is used also for the overseas of the church, one who would protect the church, guard against false doctrine, point out areas of sin that's going to, not, not with the purpose of judging, but with the purpose of protecting and preserving and, and keeping so that people can flourish in the way in which God wants them to flourish. The job of a shepherd is in addition to being able to point out sheep, he also needs to know how to point out wolves. 
They would try to come in and, and sow discord and division and, and all kinds of confusion. And so we see this role of a pastor is one like a shepherd overseeing the flock to protect and to preserve and to provide a, an environment so that the sheep would flourish. And then lastly, another word that Paul will use in those pastoral epistles refers to the title of leader. Um, Hegemon is the, is, the, is the Greek word that's there. It, it's referring to the person's ability to provide spiritual discernment and guidance. Uh, how, how, how ought we to move as a congregation, as a, as a local assembly? God has a call upon this church, right? We are, we are not here by accident. God has brought us together for such a time as this, right? You're, you're not here by accident. And, and as we, we are living at the same time and in the basic same geographic location, God has brought us together to make kingdom impact in the world around us, right? And so the leaders, the elders, the overseers, the pastors, they're there to help us navigate through life right now so that as we're leading, we can follow obviously the voice of the shepherd and so we can continue to move in harmony together. Now, in our text today in 1 Thessalonians, Paul doesn't make reference to elder or overseer or pastor or leader. Um, he makes no distinction between elders and pastors and overseers and leaders, but he just refers to them as those who oversee you. Those who oversee you. That's why it's important then to look and see how does Paul ascribe those same people in other pastoral epistles, which is how we see the elder, overseer, pastor, and leader. And so in the context of, of a healthy church family, Paul will point out three characteristics that will define how a healthy, godly attitude ought to be amongst those who would aspire to be one who would oversee the body. And so this, this first section addresses those who aspire to be leaders amongst God's people, overseers in God's house. Those who are currently, but then also those who are future overseers in God's house. And so Paul will lay out three areas that, we, that, that ought to be um, uh, characteristically present in the mind and in the heart of that one who desires to be an overseer in God's house. And we see it in, in verses tw verse 12, if you take a look with me. It's in the midst of his appeal in referring to those who oversee, among, who oversee them. He says, those who labor among you, those who are over you in the Lord, and those who admonish you. Those three things right there. Those who labor among you, those who are over you, and those who admonish you. And so I just want to take a pause here and, and focus on our, our, our current elders, our current pastors, and then those who would aspire to those positions down the road. What does the scripture say our heart ought to be towards God's flock in that role. The first thing he says here is that he addresses those who, who labor among you. Those who labor among you. The idea here is that the overseer is not to be lazy in regard to the church. He is not there for himself. He is there for the body. He is there to do a job, if you will, to perform a function, right? To, to exercise a role, a, a God-given role. He's to apply a godly work ethic and an effort. In fact, as the word labor would suggest, even sweat a little bit in working for and among God's people. 
It's this idea of, of, of realizing that it is, a, it is a sacred task given by God. I want you to know that you don't, you don't have an elder here in this church that's looking to just kind of coast, that isn't looking to do the work, isn't looking to, to, to do the, the perspiration and, the, and, and to trust God for the inspiration. It, we see ourselves as, as those who labor among you. I know the joke oftentimes goes around that the pastors only work on Sunday. I had somebody, I don't know if she's here today, always teaser for this. Years ago, there was a person in our church who was with us for a very long time, like right from the beginning. And I won't tell you that it's Jen Hutzel, but she had said to me uh, over dinner, I tease her about this. She said to me over dinner, we were all, uh, Laura and I and her husband were, were having dinner one night. And she said, so I've been meaning to ask you for a really long time. I just never got her. Like, so like, what do you do like for a real job? <laughs> I was like, what? You know? And so, but, but the reality of it is for most people when they leave on a Sunday morning, they don't know what goes on in the church. And so that's a very fair, and she, she didn't mean anything by it, plus her heart. And, uh, but but the, I think the reality of it is, <laughs> no, she really didn't. She was, and anytime I have an opportunity to tease her about it, so if you know Jen, be sure to let her know she made the, the line today. Um, but the reality of it is, the, the, there is, there is a, a blessed um, privilege to work, to labor for God's people. Uh, and believe me, it goes beyond Sunday. If there was, sometimes if there was eight days in the week, we probably would fill all, all eight of them. And, and while I know some really lazy pastors out there, uh, I want to encourage you and just let you know that that is not the case. Certainly those who are on staff at the church, but I also want to say it is certainly not the case for those who labor among you as elders in this church. Oftentimes your elders in the midst of a, of a very busy life on working same as you, 50, 60, 70 hours a week, having families and, and responsibilities and homes to take care of. Oftentimes they're here at the end of, end of a work day or before a work day, walking through and talking through and praying through how do we best serve the body here at Integrity Church? Taking Saturday mornings and, and, a lot, and, and just because, because we'd love to do it. And so that's part of the role of being, being, a, being an overseer. We labor, we work for the church, right? We work for the church, not like for the church, like, you know, hey, go get me a glass of water. But it's the idea that we are here for you. We want to see you flourish. And I know I speak for all of, of the pastors and elders in saying it's a privilege. It truly is a joy. And it's, it is a sacred role that we are thankful to the Lord and thankful to this congregation that we have an opportunity to exercise that in. The second characteristic that he'll highlight in verse 12 is he, he makes reference to those who, are, those who are over you in the Lord. Those who are over you in the Lord. This next godly attitude that the overseer needs to have is the awareness that God designed the church to be healthy. And if the church is going to be healthy, it requires overseers to be over the church. Not, not in the sense that they are more valuable than anybody else or better than anybody else or more important than anybody else. It is a, it is a, it is a, um, a distinction of role, not a distinction of importance and value. Now, you might have come out of a church where that role was elevated to a position of, of importance and value, and, and I'm sorry if that was your experience. That is not the experience, and that is not the biblical teaching of what a leader ought to look like. 
right? But with that role of service comes the understanding that we are over the church and, and elders and pastors and future ones down the road recognize that that means you gotta make the hard decisions sometimes, right? The, the, the need to exercise authority is important for us to understand. And we, recognize, and we do that recognizing that we're gonna give an account to God, that's just the reality that, that every one of our elders is fully aware of. It's what drives us, is knowing that ultimately we are answerable to, to our chief shepherd in the way in which we have shepherded his people. I'm very aware of the fact that on the day that I'm called to stand before my Lord, I, after I give an account for how I shepherded my children and shepherded my bride, I will give an account for how I, she how I shepherded his bride, the church of Jesus Christ. And I want you to know every one of our elders recognize that as our supreme role. There's no power trips. It is, a, it is a sacred task that we enjoy doing, but we recognize our dependence on the Holy Spirit, our dependence on one another, our dependence on the word of God to help us navigate that. And so as all of our pastors and our elders, they, they regularly hold this reality in the forefront of our minds. It's what feeds our decisions and our going forward. And so, don't run from authority. Don't run from the, the, idea, the, the, the reality that there needs to be somebody who's over the church. Um, small s, shepherd, reflecting the big S, shepherd, because it is, it is his church, right? Nobody owns this church. It's God's church. The third characteristic that needs to be present is, he says here, in referring to those who are over them, uh, he says, one who admonishes you. The elders are, are one who admonishes you. This is another way of saying one who instructs you or teaches you or informs you or equips you. The godly leader should always be learning. The godly leader should never be relying on his experience from the past to get him through the day and the future. The godly leader should be, should be partaking of his daily bread with the Lord, right? Should be drawing from his current walk with God, not from their experiences from the past. It is an ongoing growing, it's a, an end. It's something that we need to be continuing to grow in our understanding on how to best shepherd God's people, how to embrace and apply God's word in our own lives so that we can then teach and model and instruct God's people as well. This is not merely an academic exercise, but it is taking the truth of God's word, applying it to our own lives so that we might be able to lead and teach and using Paul's words, admonish the church of Jesus. The attitude of a godly leader seeks to learn so he can continually teach. A godly leader is a growing leader should always be growing in their walk with God, right? Everything we need, and that goes for, this guy just said, this goes for every area of ministry, not just for elder or, or pastor. Everything we do needs to be an overflow for our love for Jesus. Any kind of ministry you're involved in, it needs to be an overflow of what's going on in the inside. Otherwise, you're stepping into an arena of religion and religious exercises, and listen, you can only ride that wave for so long. It's gonna eventually crash and burn if your relationship with Jesus is not fresh and passionate, right? And as you're pursuing the lover of your soul so that your ministry is flowing out of that. 
We need to all be growing as leaders, right? As, as God's people. Um, and so Paul kind of highlights the importance of, of those who are over the church. They need to be in the position to admonish. And you can't give what you don't have. You can't give what you don't have. And so we need to be growing as leaders so that we can share the truth of God's word so that the body of Christ could be healthy and growing and attached, listen, not to the leaders, but to Christ, the chief shepherd. All right, that's the goal, is to help people to fall in love, not with the leaders, but with Jesus. That's got to be the goal. That's got to be the goal. And so he, he highlights that the godly attitude and this charge that ought to be present in those who oversee God's people is they are to see themselves as laborers amongst God's people, right? Uh, people that they realize that they are over God's people in the Lord. And then thirdly, that they are to admonish them. They are to admonish them, to teach them. When that is done in a healthy way, that ought to create a godly attitude toward uh, among the church that they oversee. Now, I, I just go on record, and I, can, I can guarantee you every pastor and elder would give a hearty amen. We don't do it perfectly. We're growing like you're growing. We're dependent on the Holy Spirit just like you are. You are not, you are not being led by a bunch of rock stars that got it all figured out. You just, we just don't. And you, 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 I, but I can tell you this, it's a bunch of humble guys that realize that we, God's entrusted us with this gift, with this role, and we want to steward it to the best of our ability, to the glory of Jesus, and for the benefit of the body of Christ. And I will run with these men anytime, anywhere, and I'm thankful to God for them. That's the godly attitude of overseers. So let's take a look now where Paul addressed the godly attitude of those they oversee the godly attitude of the church. Let's go back to our, our text in verse 12. He says, we ask you brothers to, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. Now, I've, I've never worked on a farm, um, a, a sheep farm before. I, I kind of remember I was teaching on Psalm 23 once and I, I kind of said, I know nobody's ever you know, worked on a sheep farm before and Kenny Riker and Kenny Boyton have both worked on sheep farms. I'm like, I got to tap into their knowledge base for, um, but for the most of us normal people, we've never been on a sheep farm before, right? Um, but the reality is from what, what I hear, um, sheep are really difficult animals to lead. Um, they can be very demanding. Uh, they can be very, very high maintenance and and, and difficult sheep can make it very difficult for the shepherd. And from what I've heard, what is true for the shepherd of sheep is true for the shepherd over the congregation. That's just what I've heard over 26 years of ministry. Um, Paul is addressing uh, a group of people who are new believers. I mean, this is why context is so helpful when we consider what's being said here. Paul is addressing people who had just come to faith months before. They've come out of such sinful ways in the past, right? And it's like they had an encounter with Jesus, and so positionally, they're perfect, but they had a long way to go and a long way to grow. 
And so the church, in the process of being sanctified, Paul is reminding them, listen, I have put leaders among you. I have put leaders and established leaders among you so that you can continue to grow. And and that's kind of what he's laying out here before them. He says, listen, respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord. And they're here to admonish you and esteem. Here's what you need to do. Esteem them very highly, he says, in love. Why? Because of their work. He says, be at peace among yourselves. And so for the church to be healthy, it requires its leaders to to love and serve the church biblically, faithfully, and with humility. And it requires the church to allow them to lead as they follow the chief shepherd of this flock, the Lord Jesus Christ. The writer of Hebrews says it this way, verse, uh, chapter 13, verse 17, he says, obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do, the, let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Isn't that interesting? Now, I've seen pastors spin this and use this as a rebuke against people, but I, that, that's certainly not the intent of the writer of Hebrews. He's instructing the church on the blessing and the benefit of God's provision of leaders so that the church would flourish and the church would grow. He says, let them them do it with joy. Don't make their lives difficult. Not with groaning. And and, and can I just tell you, and I, I don't, obviously probably something, it sounds like something I'm supposed to say, but this truly is the reality. This church is, is such a pleasure to be a shepherd in. Your love and your sincerity and your care and your words of encouragement and your prayer and your faithfulness, it means so much to all of us. And so we are able to do that with joy. Um, and hopefully that becomes beneficial to you because it allows us to be growing together. And as we're growing together, hopefully we are growing together as a, as a church family. You say, yeah, but you know, pastor, I came from a church where the pastor didn't care about the church. He cared about his own ego. He cared about the size of his own platform. He cared about his own bank account. And maybe you've come out of a situation like that. I'm sorry if that was your reality. That was not biblical Christianity. That certainly wasn't biblical leadership. But I encourage you, you want to be careful to not allow what your experience in the past as negative, be careful to not see everything through that lens, right? Because we could all be guilty of that at different times every one of us in different ways and so we need to always believe the best in one another we need to be humble towards one another we need to have a grace environment where we extend grace towards one another and prayer for one another and as we're praying for one another you know what happens god gives us a little insight into each other i find the people who dis who the people who misunderstand me the most i find don't pray for me and, now, and that's not all on them. Maybe I'm doing things that are not clear, and so I need to, I need to adjust my way. But, but, if, but I find that when people are, are praying for you and praying for me, there's a, there's a kindredness there. There's a relationship that gets solidified in the spirit that allows us to really um, uh, believe the best in each other. Can we, can we pray for one another, man? Right? Can we love on one another? Can we not be afraid of, of getting hurt and taken advantage of, but, but, but really grow together in prayer and in unity? That's what, that's what Paul says is, is, is that's the advantage. 
to us. And then Paul will give us some, some um, well, the writer of Hebrews, I don't know who wrote that, but, um, but Paul will give us three examples of what this godly attitude ought to be in our text this morning. How do we respond? How do those who are overseen respond to those who oversee the church? Um, number one, he says, you need to respect them or appreciate them. The Greek word that's used there is oida, O-I-D-A. It, it literally means to, to know by experience. And so therefore, a lot of translations that will, will actually use the word appreciate. It means to make large. It's actually an economic term. In short, the, the sheep are to value the shepherding care that they receive. We all know what it is to feel unappreciated, which usually stems from being undervalued. And what Paul is saying to the church is be sure to appreciate your leaders. Don't undervalue what they do because much of what they do is usually done unknown to you. Now you should be on the receiving end of the ministry of all of our pastors and elders, but a lot of what we do is done behind closed doors, right? And, 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 and so appreciate, don't undervalue what they do. Secondly, he says, esteem them very highly in love because of their work. It's interesting, the first point of, of, of respecting and, and appreciating has to do with appreciating them for the person who they are. But this second one here has to do not so much with the person of who they are, but what they do. He says to esteem them highly in love because of, of what they work. Actually, a, a more proper reading of, of that text of highly in love is actually beyond all measure, right? Esteem them beyond all measure. Again, not necessarily for the person of who they are, but for the sacred office in which they serve in. And that's really important because again, it's, there's no, we're talking roles, right? There's no, it's not a level of who's more important, more valuable, or more needed in the body of Christ, right? I think Paul does a really good job of communicating the importance of everybody in the body in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. But it's the idea of the role that needs to be appreciated because knowing that that role is overseeing your, your spiritual growth, your environment so that you can flourish and be everything God's created and designed for you to be esteeming them very highly in love for their work in the Lord. Here's an interesting parallel that maybe kind of helped land it a little bit. Um, the, what is the call to the parent? The call to the parent is, is to teach our children, to model for them, to care for them, to provide for them, to equip them so that they would grow in their faith, right? And they would grow into everything that God has designed for them to be. That's the, that's the goal of the parent. And, and listen, there isn't one perfect parent in the room, right? But that's ultimately, that's what we're looking to do. We're looking to equip, train, teach, model, and prepare our kids to succeed in life so that they can continue to pursue what God has for them. The call to the child, what is his call? The call to the child is to honor their parents, to respect them, to honor and obey them, and to put into practice that which they've been taught. Why? So they will grow into being what God has designed them to be. And so in the same way that God has created the structure of the home, he has created the structure of the church. 
He's created the structure of the home so that there's parents and kids, and when, and when each one is growing and, and doing their unique role, the church or the, the home flourishes. Likewise, not that anybody would be seen as children, but the function, the role is much the same. The overseers and those who are overseen, when working together and understanding and growing together, it creates harmony. It allows us to be able to fulfill what God has called us to do as a church family. No parent is better or more important than their child. And no overseer is better or more important than any other congregant. That's a value we hold dear here. That's a reality that we believe. And that's what the scripture teaches. Equal value, differing roles. When those roles are carried out in a biblical way, the church is healthy. And when the church is healthy, the church is effective. And when the church is effective, people come to Jesus. And when the church is healthy and effective, the church grows to be looking a lot more and more like our chief shepherd, Jesus Christ. That's how God has ordered and structured the church. The third godly attitude that Paul points out in our text is found in verse 13. He says, be at peace among yourselves. Be at peace among yourselves. While this admonition applies to, to all of the body, uh, in the context of where Paul is saying this in this section, it has to do with the way in which peace is accomplished when the church and its overseers are living in a God-honoring way. That's the beauty of it. Like if we could, if we could all, and I put myself right there with you, if we could all let our past experiences, the bad, the good, the ugly, if we could just let that all go and we could just believe God for the best and honor God in the way in which we love one another, pray for one another, seek to, to, to unify with one another, what a healthy and encouraging and exciting place this would be. And for the most part, I mean, and again, I don't bring it as like a, a goal. I believe we're growing in that. I believe we're walking in that in, in so many ways. And we need, to, we need to continue in that. We need to be intentional about that. The more intentional we are about that, the more the intentional the enemy will be in trying to divide that, right? And so the enemy doesn't want to see a church in unity. And so we want to, we want to be in, unify, uh, in unity together so that Jesus would be glorified and that and the, the church can be effective in the world in which we're called to, to, uh, to reach. Um, peace is the natural fruit to what I mentioned when each one is um, viewing one another in a biblical way, in a God-honoring way. And so... Just like in a home when the, when the parents are honoring and parenting in a God-honoring way and the children are responding in a God-honoring way. The church leaders and the congregation, when they are responding in a God-honoring way, it greatly impacts our attitudes, our mindsets, the way in which we see one another and it sets us up to be a church that will impact the community of Christ. That's what Paul was instructing the church in Thessalonica towards. 
He's like, hey, listen, yeah, we're, let's talk about the rapture. Let's talk about the, you know, let's talk about the second coming. Let's talk about the tribulation and, and everything else. But in the end of the day here, while you're waiting, you make sure you honor one another. You put in motion the teaching and the, and the heart of Jesus, the shepherd, in your community, right? In your faith community so that we can grow together and begin to look like our shepherd Jesus towards one another. So Father, thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for uh, how your word addresses every area of life and practice. And Father, I pray that uh, you would help us to um, dig deeper into uh, your word in these areas, help us to apply these truths, help us to love one another, serve one another, believe the best in one another. And um, Lord, help us to model for uh, to one another what ultimately uh, you call us to do. And Lord, I pray that as we continue to grow and, and seek to be a, um, a, a strong and healthy church that you can use in this, in this area for uh, the kingdom purposes, I pray that you give us opportunities to, to reach more and more people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thank you for this time. In Christ's name we pray, amen.